Welcome to the Financial Jungle. This is Sher Khan Podcast. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining on the call. The world is today in a unique and difficult situation impacted by the coronavirus. This has impacted our physical and mental health due to health risk and also personal loss of loved ones. It has also impacted our financial assets due to the economic consequences of the lockdown. We at Cherkan hope that you and your families remain healthy and you're due to stay safe during this tough situation. With regard to your concern on financial portfolio, my team and I are here to support you in every way. Please do not hesitate to reach out to us for any concern, query or clarification relating to your portfolio or investment. Today, I bring you an opportunity to hear from an industry expert, Mr. Manishi Reshoduri, for a global and regional perspective on the impact of coronavirus. Manishi is Managing Director and Head of Asia-Pacific Equity Research and also Asia-Ex-Japan Equity Strategy at BNP Paribas Securities. He is based in Hong Kong and leads a team of equity analysts and sector heads across various locations in Asia. Manishi has 24 years of work experience, of which more than 10 within BNP Paribas. He has previously worked as Head of Equity Research at BNP Paribas Securities in India. This call has been organized for Sherkan and Chennai clients, and I would like to thank you all for your continued patronage and your time today to listen to us. Manishi, thank you for taking out time for us, and now the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Jean-Christophe, for that introduction. Um, I hope I'm audible to, you know, the audience in India. Um, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for this opportunity to speak to our esteemed clients. Um, what I'll do today is that I'll first give a very brief introduction of, you know, the global situation today. You know, and because we know that this is an unprecedented economic downturn, um, I will try to touch upon what are the various different channels of transmission to, you know, economic growth or economic decline, rather, of this COVID-19 contagion, the kind of forecast, economic growth forecast changes that we are seeing, both from ourselves and from other agencies like IMF. Um, uh, briefly, we'll talk about the monetary and fiscal stimulus, because that's a very important point that would decide what would happen to global economies after this period is over, after we have put the COVID-19 contagion behind us. And finally, I'll uh, spend a few minutes on India specifically, um, because I understand that, you know, the clients are predominantly in, in interested in the Indian markets. And uh, even in my job description as an Asian equity strategist, India is a very important part of uh, our coverage and you know in in, in we in, run an asian model portfolio which uh, of which india is a very important part great so without further ado 
let me um, you know briefly talk about each of these uh, each of these points first of all this uh, you know this covid-19 related economic slowdown that we are seeing today it is unprecedented you know this is something that we have never seen before possibly not in you know in at least a couple of centuries now um because this is not exactly a financial crisis which the global financial crisis of 2008 was but this is a health crisis which is forcing a near complete absence of economic activity and it's important to understand that um you know because uh, other fiscal crises like what we had seen during gfc they can usually be countered by fiscal and monetary stimulus you know when central banks inject money or uh, governments actually dole out cash through fiscal action they basically tell consumers and companies that okay here's some free money go ahead and spend it but under the present situation everything is under a lockdown and under this lockdown crisis those uh, fiscal and monetary stimulus can't work because the consumers are all locked in at home right so this is one very important difference that we must remember um there are various channels of transmission of this uh you know the covid-19 contagion to economic growth decline um possibly the most obvious and the most important are the decline in domestic economic activity due to a partial or total lockdown there's a broad based decline in consumption demand and disruption in supply chains due to shutdown of factories and non-availability of workers except for the non-essential services second there is a uh, you know obvious decline in travel tourism and various leisure activities and therefore the countries with significant revenue from tourism for example um they tend to suffer the most you know so countries like thailand in in the asian context which have tourism revenue almost at about uh, you know somewhere around 4 to 7% of gdp um are turning out to be a big sufferer in the present scenario third decline in commodity prices we have seen a spectacular decline in oil prices um it was of course triggered by the discussions within opec and russia falling apart but even after a recent understanding within opec and russia and the united states oil prices haven't really recovered after a brief rebound they're again drifting down which means that it's actually consumption consumption demand which is the bigger concern now rather than supply side discipline and oil is just one example that i gave but in reality most other commodities like coal copper um aluminum they're all facing a similar kind of downturn at the present point um number 4 global trade as a consequence of demand destruction and particularly in the developed economies global trade is suffering in fact you know for much of asia which are the export dependent countries in north asia it's actually the decline in global trade which is dragging down the economic growth of these countries and finally um capital flows capital flows are actually the lifeblood of emerging markets 
But during these times of economic uncertainty, capital flows tend to gravitate towards the so-called safe haven destinations, you know, like developed market bonds, like U.S. treasuries or gold. Consequently, the emerging market currencies, and particularly the Asian currencies, also Latin American currencies, they uh, tend to depreciate, and this is more concentrated in the countries which have a current account deficit. This is actually important in the context of India. Um, we have seen in last two months or so, the Indian currency depreciate by about 5 to 6%. We've seen the Indonesian currency depreciate by about 12 to 15%. That's been the worst performer, followed by South Korea, which has declined about 4 to 5%. So this is another uh, you know, important driver to keep in mind, um, because uh, you know, this decline in domestic currencies means that companies which have U.S. dollar debt, they tend to suffer. And on the other hand, the companies which have U.S. dollar revenue, like IT service companies in the context of India, they tend to gain. Um, as far as global economic forecasts grow, go, they have been cut down very sharply. You know, we have seen this morning how the International Monetary Fund is now talking about a minus 3% global growth. Um, and as early as January 20, uh, 2020, they were at a plus 3.3% global growth forecast. You know, so the global growth forecasts are dynamic. And not only that, I mean, even after this recent cut, uh, uh, the IMF has emphasized that the, the risks are still to the downside. BNP Paribas global economists have also acted in a similar way. I mean, they have cut down global growth forecasts to minus 2.5% for 2020. And these cuts uh, are actually driven more by the developed economies at this stage. So, for example, um, United States GDP growth is forecast to be minus 5.7% this year. And it's been cut by about 5% recently. 95% um, of the U.S. population are under some form of lockdown or a stay-at-home order. So in China, the growth forecast currently in 2020 is 1.5%. Uh, in Japan, it's minus 4.2%. And in Europe, in the Eurozone as a whole, it's minus 8.3%. So these are the BNP Paribas Global Economics Group forecasts at this point. As far as India is concerned, Indian growth estimate is 2.7% in 2020. Um, I mean, if you ask me, my personal opinion is even that may be a bit of an overestimate. But as I said right at the beginning, that for all these growth forecasts, the risk is to the downside. You know, these are all dynamic forecasts. You know, they're kind of moving targets in a volatile scenario that we are living in. I must also mention that both Independent agencies like IMF and our Global Economics Group expect a rebound in 2021. So, for example, BNP Paribas economists are talking about 5.8% positive growth in 2021, um, partly because of return of the workforce and reopening of the workplaces in the second half of 2020, and also uh, as some kind of a delayed effect of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that we have seen. In fact, this 
fiscal and monetary stimulus, that's been huge. You know, that's possibly the silver lining, which shows that governments and central banks are pretty much throwing everything at this problem. And they are determined to, um, you know, basically to control the economic contagion at whatever cost, at whatever fiscal cost that can be imagined. In fact, we believe that the fiscal bill, the total fiscal bill for the developed and emerging markets combined could reach almost about 15 to 17% of GDP. Um, US has uh, uh, unveiled a fiscal package of $2 trillion. That's about 9 to 10% of GDP. That's huge by US standards. In case of China, the fiscal deficit target itself has been raised from 2.7% of GDP to about they are also planning more tax cuts and administrative fees. In Japan, the total size of this fiscal stimulus is about 17.3 trillion JPY, Japanese yen, and that's about 3.5% of their GDP. In case of India, somewhat surprisingly, I would say that um, the total size of the fiscal um, stimulus at this point of time is relatively small. Um, it is essentially a relief package for informal workers and the poor population, um, which was announced a couple of weeks ago. And the total quantum is about 22.5 billion, which is about 0.75% of GDP. You know, so if it's actually given in a targeted manner, it can still be effective, but it is, uh, you know, significantly lower than what most of the other large economies have announced till now. In addition to that, we have also seen monetary stimulus, which comes from the from the central banks, like the US Fed. Um, they have pretty much done what they did in 2008. They have cut down the interest rates to near zero right now. And they have also opened up new emergency lending facilities. So there's something called a Main Street Business Lending Program in the U.S., which is a targeted support to non-investment grade businesses. Um, they have also started something called a Paycheck Protection Program. This is a specific loan designed to provide direct incentive for small businesses to keep their workers on payroll. You know, this in the Indian context, one would possibly recognize this. Prime Minister Modi has talked about, you know, he has actually urged businesses, both large and small, to keep their workers on payroll. But, you know, in, in, in the other large economies like in the U.S. or in, in the European region, it's not just an appeal from the government, but it has also translated into actual fiscal allocation or, you know, money allocation from the government, uh, which would induce the businesses to keep their workers on payroll. So this is, you know, one difference between what the other markets, other economies are trying to do um, versus what the Indian response to the problem has been. Um, so um, uh, central banks in uh, pretty much everywhere, they have uh, cut interest rates and they're trying to trying to inject more money. Um, in the process, you know, there's one curious element that we've seen, and this is this is something we've seen in emerging markets also. So there's no difference in this respect, at least, 
um, from uh, you know what we've seen in the developed markets and in emerging markets, though the quantum has been much more in the developed markets in the US and Europe. Um, finally, you know when it comes to equity markets, as we have all seen, um, after that initial downturn from mid-February to late March, we have seen a bit of a bounce back in equity markets. So over past, um, let's say, three weeks or so, the markets actually bottomed out somewhere around 23rd or 24th May, rather March, sorry. And since then, over past three weeks, um, markets have moved up by about 15 to 20%. Um, so, if I look at the BSE Sensex in the Indian context, it bottomed out somewhere around 26,000. It has come back to somewhere between 31 to 31,500. So, it's a similar similar margin. And we are seeing that um, at least in Asia or in the emerging markets, the market perception of the ability of governments to control the spread of the virus, that is deciding... Um, you know, which market outperforms more. So just to give an example, it now seems clear that China has actually been reasonably successful in controlling the, you know, the spread of the virus in their own country, at least from the formal data that we get from China. And they did it by imposing a complete lockdown only on one province, the Hubei province. Um, so, and now after that lockdown, uh, was lifted sometime in third week of March, we are actually seeing many of the high-frequency economic indicators in China coming back to their pre-crisis levels. So um, the kind of indicators we look at, like power or coal consumption by the power plants, or um, you know the passenger traffic in the underground railway system, the MTR as they call it in China, in the large cities like Beijing, Shanghai, and Guangzhou, these are gradually coming back to the old levels, the pre-January levels. So I think the ability or the market's perception of the ability of governments to control the spread of the virus, that plays a significant role in deciding how the market would behave. And second, we must also focus on the phase of the contagion that a country is in. You know, so... China or East Asia, like, uh, you know, Hong Kong, South Korea, etc., they were in an earlier phase of the contagion. Um, the next set of countries that suffered from that contagion were in Europe, and then came, uh, you know, United States and possibly India from sometime in early to second week of March. Um, and finally, of course, relative valuations across markets and sectors that also decides investor behavior. Um, now, you know, so with this uh, introduction, I'll just talk briefly on India. As I started off by saying that the Indian lockdown is actually far more severe than in many other countries. Um, India has affected a total countrywide lockdown which most other countries, if I look at the large countries, have not done. It's been, um, uh, in case of China, it was just one province, which was under total and complete lockdown. In case of United States, even though uh, 90 to 95% of the population is under some kind of a stay-at-home order, the magnitude of the lockdown and the stringency is different in different states. You know, so in, in case of the United States, it's basically the 
the different states that have decided what to do with their resident population. Um, in case of India, the proportion of informal workers is also much higher than in other Asian countries and let alone the developed economies. You know, even compared to other Asian countries, it is actually significantly higher. Um, and since they, their compensation levels, their incomes depend on, you know, much shorter term time intervals, the burden of lockdown and not being able to generate employment falls disproportionately on, you know, on the informal worker universe. Um, again, on the positive side, Indian economy is not dependent on exports or tourism. It is largely a domestic economy. Um, so to that extent, India is relatively protected. And finally, India is a commodity importer. So, you know, in fact, uh, we did a, a study a couple of months ago where we looked at the total indebtedness or um, you know, the kind of correlation that uh, manufacturing businesses have, manufacturing margins have with commodity prices. And pretty much all across Asia, um, commodity price decline leads to an increase in the operating margins of the companies. And this tendency is actually more pronounced in India because, you know, India is a commodity importer. And as a consequence of commodity prices going down, it usually results in input costs of most of the manufacturing companies declining. Also, um, the decline in oil prices that we have seen, that is clearly, that should help the, the current account of India. You know, so yeah, usually our current account deficit is in the range of two to 2.5% of GDP. Um, I think in fiscal 21, you know, the year ending March 21, it could come down significantly, which at some point of time should support the currency also. You know, so right now, of course, we are seeing a uh, wholesale or lock, stock and barrel capital movement away from the emerging markets into the safe havens. But once this risk off sentiment is behind us, I think uh, some of these oil importing countries currencies should be supported. Um, finally, uh, uh, when we talk about the Indian markets and sectors, um, valuations have declined considerably. You know, so if I look at one year forward price earnings multiples or price to book multiples, um, it is significantly lower than the long term average. And this is all across Asia, in fact, all across the world today. In the context of India, it is about one standard deviation below the long term average, though um, you know, earnings estimates for India could still be at risk. Um, when I look at the consensus EPS growth estimates for Nifty or MSCI India, I still see a number of somewhere close to, you know, high teens, about 17 or 18 percent for fiscal year 21. And that looks like an overstatement to me, you know, because some of the, um, you know, for some of the sectors, let's say like financials, banks, I see a number close to about 25 to 30 percent. Um, I think even for some of the commodities like metals and mining, the number has not been revised down adequately yet to factor in 
the kind of uh, decline in commodity prices or product prices that we have seen. So, uh, you know, uh, what we are seeing now is a, a consistent decline in earnings estimates that we would possibly see across most sectors, if not all. And we would continue to see that during this upcoming resident season, which is the January to March quarter, which would be reported now over next one month, and possibly also in the April to June quarter. In fact, um, for the relatively smaller companies who cash, whose cash flows are at risk right now, we could even see some credit events, you know, where they are unable to pay back um, their loans despite the moratorium that they enjoy right now. Um, but eventually, you know, in the second half of this year, we, after the moratorium expires, we could see some of those credit events as well. Um, so, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, while we have seen a reasonably good bounce back in equity markets, I think in the short term, we have to tighten our belts and prepare for some of this adverse news to come through. Um, if I uh, consider sectors in India, um, fortunately, there are a few sectors in India and um, I mean, the Indian market offers a reasonably good array of stocks as well, which are good quality, which have good management quality and um, you know, disclosure standards. Um, first, I'll talk about uh, the consumer staples sector. This whole COVID-19 contagion is actually resulting in some durable changes in consumer habits. Um, for example, and this is the best example that I know of in China, we're seeing a clear increased focus on e-commerce, food delivery, social media, etc. And therefore, you know, some of the game designing companies, some of the e-commerce companies, they're gaining rapidly. In case of India, the greater focus on sanitation or hygiene could be beneficial for some of the consumer staples companies which are in that sector. We have already, in addition, seen some of the, seen some of the healthcare companies um, uh, benefit from the increased demand for certain specific kind of drugs like HCQ from the developed markets. So, and some of these consumer staples companies also tend to gain from commodity price decline because that's an important input for them. Second, private sector banks, particularly the large frontline private sector banks, which are lending to, to retailers. And uh, you know, mostly those are collateralized lending they continue to gain market share and their asset quality seems safe. In contrast, the non-banking financial companies could be at risk um, because, you know, I think at some point of time, they could face the risk of their retail asset quality deterioration, which is largely uncollateralized. Third, I would point out that the oil price decline could help the marketing margins of some of the oil marketing companies in India. You know, and this is a very uh, kind of company, it's a sub-sector which is kind of unique to India. Um, finally, and I had mentioned this earlier, um, we are seeing emerging market currencies depreciate, it could continue in the, over the short term. INR depreciation is obviously good for exporters and US dollar earners. So IT services, especially the large frontline IT companies, are the prime examples of companies who could derive such benefit. On the other hand, 
one should stay away from companies which have US dollar debt. And in the context of India, we have such companies in the metals and mining area. We have such companies in the telecommunication area. Even though telecommunication, I think, uh, you know, some select few companies might gain. But, uh, you know, uh, it's not a sector that one can paint with the same broad brush. So this is, um, you know, what I feel about the Indian market specifically. Um, I will actually stop here and wait for any questions uh, that, uh, you know, the audience or JC you may have. Uh, Manishi, thank you for this useful insight. Uh, we collected a few questions from our clients, so I will start. Um, based on your understanding of the situation in Asia and globally in the world, do you believe India will recover faster or slower than other economies? Well, <laughs> that's a tricky question because, you know, there are both positives and risks um, as far as India is concerned. You know, as I mentioned earlier, that in the context, basically, you know, the problems that the economies are facing are not just from the spread of the virus, but the measures, the measures or methods the various governments have adopted to control the virus. And these governments have no choice, really. So, um, one needs to look at the stringency or the quality of these measures. And when it comes to that, the... Indian uh, lockdown is possibly much more stringent than, you know, what has been adopted in, you know, some of the other countries in, 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 in the Asian region. So, like, I'm sitting in Hong Kong, there's no lockdown here. You know, the restaurants, etc., they're open. They have to maintain social distancing, of course. But um, uh, food delivery is okay. I'm coming to the office every day. So... Um, I think in case of India, the the lockdown measures have been more stringent, number one. We also have far higher number of informal workers who depend on day-to-day -day earnings in case of India. And therefore, income losses and demand destruction could be higher over there. I also pointed out that at least as of now, the quantum of the stimulus that India has injected is actually much lower than what most of the other countries have done. You know, so these are possibly some of the near-term risk factors as far as India is concerned. On the other hand, um, India clearly benefits from lower commodity prices, particularly lower oil prices. And it has a largely domestic economy, which does not really have to depend on global trade or global tourism. So I would think on balance, if I were to put all this together, India would also go through a long drawn out adjustment process like the Asian or global markets. You know, it's difficult to uh, say that India would recover earlier than the other markets in the, in the emerging or Asian universe. Thank you. Um, according to you, is there a fear of more protectionism measures that will follow after the crisis? Or do you think the nations will come together to recover globally? Right. You see, some trend 
you know, over the long term, some trend towards what we call deglobalization that can't be ruled out. You know, because um, you know, it's it's now clear that um, you know the extent of contagion that we have seen was partly because of the explosion in you know um, people traveling across the world. You know the explosion in tourism, and also, um, you know the the risks to the supply chains that we are seeing. It's also because the you know the manufacturing facilities across the world are so spread out. You know, and particularly in the Asian region, so it would not be um, you know unreasonable to expect that many countries across the world, particularly the developed countries. They may want to um, have some part of the supply chain back in their home countries. We have already seen that from uh, you know the administration in the United States. They have been exhorting the U.S. companies to at least partially move back to the United States. We have seen a very specific program announced by Japan. You know when the Japanese authorities have actually earmarked about. You know, a little more than two billion U.S. dollars to help companies relocate their supply chain back to Japan. So, you know, I think some degree of deglobalization can't be ruled out. But having said that, I must also point out that the supply chains today are so well spread out and so well entrenched in some of the countries that it's difficult to, you know, sort of change those suppliers overnight. Um, what we may see is some degree of diversification away from single location manufacturing facilities. So, you know, if a company has um, a disproportionately large manufacturing facility in China, let's say which produces, let's say, about 80, 70 to 80 percent, then that company would possibly try to diversify away from that single location, and as a consequence. Some other countries in this region, which are able to offer similar quality of um, uh, technically qualified manpower or similar infrastructure, may also tend to gain. Yeah. So, we have anecdotally seen, uh, you know, some textile manufacturing moving away from China to Vietnam and Bangladesh. Over the longer term, maybe over the next three to five years, we could see some of the uh, you know, electronic hardware manufacturing or even engineering goods move away as well. You know, though, of course, you know, the, the manufacturing companies would have to look at the infrastructure availability and the skilled man manpower availability to arrive at those decisions. Thank you. Uh, there are many managers and fund managers we believe that uh, yeah. over a few years, uh, there is a very nice opportunity to invest today. And uh, that India growth story is still on, even if short term is very painful and shaky. What's your opinion about this? Right. Yes, in fact, I would agree possibly with both conclusions. If an investor, it all depends on the time frame of investment, the, that the time horizon of investment that an investor has in mind. So, 
if an investor has a time horizon of let's say three to five years or maybe even longer, then this is a good time to invest because such an investor can, um, I wouldn't say ignore, but he can actually tide over the volatility that we are likely to see over the next three to six months. Um, if an investor is relatively more short-term focused, then this may not be exactly the right time for him because, as I said, over the next one or two quarters, maybe till sometime in the second half of the year, we are likely to see the kind of volatility that we are seeing now because um, um, much of the economic impact and much of the impact on corporate revenues or the impact on asset qualities of the banks are something that we have not seen yet. We will gradually begin to see them in the April to June quarter and possibly more in the second half of the year. You know, so in the short term, one should tighten the bills and brace for more volatility. In the longer term, maybe over the next three to five years, um, I think the good quality stocks would continue to do well and as a consequence of the valuation decline, they are currently available at much better valuation, much better prices than they were about three months ago. Thank you very much, Manishi, for this uh, uh, clear answer. Uh, I think we'll stop here now. So thanks a lot for uh, sharing your views. Thanks everyone to, uh, for attending this, uh, this chat. And stay at home, stay, stay, take care of you, and have a nice evening. Thank you very much, everyone. ShareCon's in-house research desk may or may not subscribe to the same views and may have different recommendations to offer. Statistics mentioned during the session have not been verified by ShareCon. This conversation is for educational purposes only. The information and views shared herein is not intended to be and must not in isolation be taken as the basis for an investment decision.